I'm really excited to, to talk a little bit about what some of the biggest challenges have been in the past, but then also how are some of the ways that uh, the triangle is overcoming those. So I'd like to start with first with uh, the early stage of things. Brandon, if you could talk a little bit about what was it like starting up your company and, and what were some of the resources you tapped into personally uh, as you're launching right here in the triangle? Uh, yeah. Um... All right. Um, I would say, uh, as anyone in here who's uh, started a company knows, uh, it's really hard. Um, you know, <laughs> it's an understatement, right? Like all these things that I didn't know about. You know, uh, having to find a lawyer to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I thought, you know, you just send in something to the state, and hey, I'm a business. That, that was wrong. Uh, uh, I think the first thing that I did was I, I tried to to uh, do what Chris was talking about a minute ago, and, and get involved in, in a greater network. Um, uh, something that I love about the area is that I've never been turned down for a mentorship meeting. Um, like, if, if I'm selling something, I've been turned down plenty, but, um, <laughs> you know, like, people like uh, two of my, my personal mentors, Scott Wingo or Eric Trowan, um, both of them were willing to meet with me without knowing anything about me or what I'm doing. Uh, and I think that that's, that's representative of the entire community here. Um, I also tapped into my, my uh, peer networks at, at Duke and UNC. Um, I prefer Duke, uh, but you know, again, uh, 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 yeah. My favorites here. Yeah, I like to say that I got my MBA at UNC because they were the only school dumb enough to take me. Um, uh, but I'm just kidding. My mom went to UNC. Um, uh, but um, you know, I, I found my lawyer again, talking about lawyers uh, through a Duke connection, and so. Uh, you know, really reaching out and asking people just for help, not for not for sales, not for anything like that, just for help. Yeah, and Daisy, you broke into tech through a non-traditional education. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about Code the Dream and what that experience was like for you writing that yeah. first line of code? Yeah, um, so before I went to Code the Dream, I was a stay-at-home mom, so I like to say I was a professional peanut butter and jelly maker. <laughs> and um, I had the idea one day that I wanted to break into tech because I read an article that said people in tech are exceptionally nice and they're welcoming you need a fancy degree from a university in order to get into this field and so I said well I'm going to get into this field then and it's been a fantastic experience all the tech people I meet are super generous super outgoing super helpful and I'm sad to hear that that's emblematic of the triangle because I feel like that's really what's going to move entire industry forward is that when people are really giving forward and um, really giving of their time and talent. But going back to uh, Code the Dream, so I started um, writing code there. Um, it's a free program and then after that I went to um, an accelerated boot camp and then after that I worked at Duke University, go Duke, um, for a couple of years as a front-end engineer. So that entire path was nine months to staying at home with my kids to being a professional uh, software engineer. Now I'm back at Code the Dream as the director of programs and we're making that path clearer for other people in the program, other people in the triangle from underrepresented groups, particularly immigrants and refugees who are really looking for a foothold into this tech career. And we rely so heavily on our uh, team of volunteers and we often get more volunteers than we actually know what to do with. And I think that's just so, um, 
really so indicative of this culture that Chris was talking about. The folks at the Triangle are just so helpful, and we're really, really glad to be a part of this community. We couldn't do the work that we do without the community. Can you tell us um, a little bit about the scale? You mentioned earlier you got a cohort that not just here in the Triangle, but reaches across the country now, right? Yeah, so we have um, 20 interns in our program right now, and these are paid interns that have finished our classes, and so now they're building apps for local nonprofits. On top of that, we have a class starting on Monday, 45 people across the country that will be part of our first national cohort. So cool. Uh, Robert, I was talking to you earlier about just the amazing things happening in Wilmington. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening out just outside the Triangle in Wilmington? It sounds like things are booming in tech right now. Yeah, so uh, first hats off because being a parent is the hardest job I've ever had. I have a saying that Monday's a new Friday because my real job starts when I go home. But, um, you know, I've been in Wilmington now for 15 years and uh, it has changed drastically. I heard the mayor speak the other night. He said that there's projections, the state projects about 3 million people to be moving into North Carolina over the next 20 years. 10% uh, of those people are moving to Wilmington. That would, that would double our population over a 20-year period. So um, I think with population comes everything. I mean, the opportunities with people, I'm a big, big believer in human capital, and it's that population that's going to present opportunity for us. But, um, you know, w Wilmington's no longer the vacation beach, sleepy beach town that, you know, I think most people are familiar with Wilmington from this part of the state because you go there on the weekend and then you go back to work, right? Um, we have uh, lots of case study now, success stories. We have Encino, uh, Live Oak Bank, um, you know, um, Untapped, GigSal. I mean, there's a lot of tech taking place in Wilmington, uh, in large part due to people coming there and deciding that they want to stay. Um, we have capital um, uh, via Angel Networks. Venture South is now in Wilmington. IMAF Cape Fear uh, uh, was in Wilmington. We now have a, um, and I don't know how much I can reveal about this, but there is a very large $500 million venture capital fund being started out of Wilmington for, uh, for FinTech investing. So, um, you heard it here first. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Wilmington these days. That's awesome. Um, and I know you've, you've grown considerably. Can you talk a little bit about your own scaling in that area? Yeah, so um, Wilmington has been a really good place to build a business. And I think in large part because of how easy it is to connect with people. Um, uh, I, I have, I, my network of, of friends and colleagues in Wilmington is bigger than my national network. And I've lived in six different cities up and down the East Coast. Um, uh, you know, it's it's been uh, it's it's just been a very easy place to grow a business. Now that doesn't mean growing a business is easy, um, but but it has been a very easy place, a supportive place to grow a business. One of the things that uh, you mentioned uh, just around the talent side of things, this region is drawing all of this talent, and a big piece of that is these bigger tech companies. Um, you've got a lot of HQ2s and HQ3s here uh, that are growing with a lot of the acquisitions. You know, Red Hat. Um, Genesis that's that's here and we'll bring up on stage here in a minute um, drawing tons of amazing talent into the region uh, Chris you and I were talking previously about some of the opportunities that you're seeing 
when, when you kind of look at other markets and see what's what the potential is here in the Triangle and North Carolina as a whole, do you mind speaking a little bit to that? You bet. So um, when I kind of see the arc of how communities grow and the different elements that have to kind of mature along with it, not everything obviously like a startup, like in your different division, like not everything kind of scales perfectly, right, in terms of the different things we need to do. Um, one of the things uh, that I believe is, is uh, in our next phase is a much tighter corporate engagement. And what's interesting is that, and what I tell every city that we work in, is that you have a unique set of corporations that no one else has. And, and, and the engagement can, can be anything from um, as light as being first customer, beta customer, um, a proof of concept, a paid proof of concept, uh, a second customer, um, to mentorship, especially around functional things they do well, uh, to sponsorship of events, to maybe even being investors and eventual you know, candidates for M&A. Um, it's the one thing we don't do well here because we don't have many headquarters and a lot of those functions come out of headquarters. But I do think there's opportunity and I think that's the next phase for us is to kind of build those much tighter relationships and engagements. Feel free, anyone, to chime in. I know you mentioned getting told no from companies. I don't know if any of those are big companies that you're talking to. Um, but do you see an opportunity for, what kind of opportunities do you see for those, whether it's startup companies or uh, big co's who maybe might start venture funds or might actually purchase things from startups? Um, I'll, give, I'll do one 30-second and then I'll hand the mic over. But uh, the, the secret, at least right now, the secret um, sauce or the thing that gets their attention is you talk about talent. And so the angle that I've shared with them is that, listen, a healthy and robust startup ecosystem is a talent generator and attractor for you. First of all, it starts to keep people that are, you know, students coming out of colleges and young people who are a little more mobile. It says, this is the place I want to camp out. And, whether, and so I think the effect is more indirect than direct sometimes, but that talk track is getting their attention. And so I say, why should you be motivated to engage? Because the biggest um, issue that almost every one of these companies have is attracting talent, and a great startup ecosystem is a, is a great means to do so. Yeah, so I've met with a number of corporate venture uh, or you know, firms, organizations. I think what I've found to be very attractive to large corporations is the ability to incubate a, a innovation outside of the bureaucracy of the organization uh, in such a way that it doesn't cannibalize existing revenues, even though the ultimate product may completely disrupt the organization, right? Um, it doesn't, doesn't, you don't have to navigate the bureaucracy and the committees. A, a, a small group of people can, can, can react and, and act quickly. A large corporation simply cannot. So um, a lot of the corporation venture arms that I've, you know, corporate venture uh, organizations I've talked to, you know, they're looking to see if they can ignite the fire outside the company with the intention of ultimately bringing it in and building a real business around it. Daisy, when you talk to the people who graduate from Code the Dream and are looking to get a job maybe at a big company, uh, or, or even at a startup, what kind of advice do you have for breaking into tech in your first tech career? Very first tech career. Um, well, I tell people to be strategic, to be intentional, and to go in with the intention of how can I help? What can I do to serve? Um, and kind of going back to um, what Chris was saying, that 
you know, what's really interesting about big companies is that even though they're kind of moving slowly, they really want to be innovative. And what's interesting about the triangle is that we are purposefully innovative. I think a lot of uh, cities kind of sit back and think that innovation is like, uh, it's like uh, being creative, it's like being artistic, it's just something that kind of happens, like lightning strikes. But I've noticed in the triangle there's a lot of um, efforts around being methodical about creating an ecosystem that really innovation can thrive in. We see that even in the universities creating courses around entrepreneurship and around design thinking and, design, and courses that really foster that kind of growth. And I think that's what's unique about the triangle and I think that's what puts people in a great position to get these jobs at the big companies, right? Is because they're they have the skills to come in and really use your time, use their time wisely to push the forward, the game forward. That's great advice. And a little bit different take on the question, Brennan, and this last question for this panel. I'd love to get your advice for someone thinking about starting up in the triangle area. What's what's one piece of advice that maybe you wish you had or that served you well when you were starting up? Pay your taxes. <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds like uh, <laughs> no, we paid them on time. Uh, um, I would say, uh, um, gosh, I, I, must, I sound like the most boring person. Uh, you know, get a good lawyer. Um, uh, you know, that was finding someone uh, who could advise us on on what legal stuff, getting everything started, finding a tax person who could explain. Things like Nexus, you know, our business is in multiple states, um, and so we have to deal with a lot of that stuff. Um, and then I, I would say um, start getting in contact with people, um, potentially uh, investors, pretty early. Um, my investors, uh, my institutional investors, are, are Idea Fund partners out of Durham. So Lister Delgado is uh, on my board, um, and he met with me before we even released the product. We were still developing it. Um, and so eventually, you know, 18 months later, he invested in us. And so that's what I would say. I would say, you know, take meetings, introduce yourselves to people, um, and uh, build on those relationships because eventually they may pay off. Especially with the lawyer. Especially with the lawyer. <laughs> Let's give it up for our first panel.